In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsing. With me, all the way across the pond, is the rock stars of the parapsychologist, the young Cal Cooper. Hi, Ron. How's it going, buddy? Yeah, better than nothing, you know what I mean? <laughs> better than nothing uh, I hope you're well there what have you been up to lately I have been uh, doing stuff in, like I always do lots of stuff but you know um, I have a class coming up and, and I'm really excited about this uh, my first class at a college so I'm, you know I'm psyched and uh, Paranormal CSI starts on February 2nd and I'm really excited about it it's going to be uh never been done in anything like this before so it's kind of cool excellent <laughs> you've That's got a lot of interest in that already i gather it's all planned but um uh, what exactly are you going to be doing for this again all fun how fun i don't know what you mean by that sorry all fun is that what you're saying yeah it sounds good what, what exactly are you going to be doing are you say accusing me that i can't be serious is that what you're tra- telling me no, I'm not saying that. That I'm not academic. Is that what you're saying? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> Come on, Robert. What's the, if you can remind us again what it's uh, what you're going to be doing with the CSI program. Right. It's first of all, it's at Northern Essex uh, Community College in um, yeah. Haverhill, and the the place is actually in Groveland, and it, it's a building. In fact, last Saturday we did an investigation there, and the Boston Globe came along.
tombstone I put on my uh, Facebook page, which is Ronald Kolick, if you guys want to join, or you can join us in the Ghost Chronicles International Facebook page or the Ghost Chronicles Next Generation Facebook page. But uh, did you see that tombstone? Yeah, I did. I mentioned it was a few days ago when I saw it, but I thought it was quite funny when I did see it. You know... What did it say again? Huh? What did it say again? I can't remember what it said, but I, I, I remember reading it, though. What did it say? Yeah, actually, I think I posted you on it, and uh, <laughs> basically said, Jesus called and Kim answered. That's it. <laughs> and it has a picture of a woman on a telephone on the on the gravestone. So, Is that made up, or if someone genuinely had that on their tombstone? Because I would believe someone actually doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you would believe what people do. Uh, <laughs> I won't even go there. <laughs> But anyways, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And, and uh, is your book all set? Telephone, now, I always call it Telephone Calls from the Dead, but what's, what's the real title of the book? Well, it is Telephone Calls from the Dead, and then it's just got the subtitle of um, a, a revised look at the phenomenon 30 years on. Um, but yeah, I haven't really changed it much from the original title, except the fact that it's got telly before the phone, and that's it really. But yeah, it's all on track. Um, printing, uh, I'm printing off the proof copy in the next few days, taking that with me to LA. So a few more weeks and the book should be out and um, available for purchase. And the pre-order system will be up on my website in the next day or so. So that's all on track. Okay, and your website is, is calcooper.com? Well, you can go on that. It should take you to my website, which is calcooper.com. That's funny, so I thought you just said that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, mm -hmm. you are going. You are going out to California very shortly, I believe. Correct? Yeah, I'll be out there on the first and uh, up till the seventh. On the second, I'll be in Laguna Woods, uh, giving a talk to the Life After Life Club, I believe it is, and that'll be a talk on telephone calls from the dead and what my book's about. Um, it's being hosted by Dr. Elizabeth McAdams, who was the author of uh, The Case for the Afterlife, Parapsychologist Look at the Evidence with Raymond Bayliss. And then while I'm over there, I'm also going to travel up to Northern Hollywood as well and meet Jack Rogo, who's the father of the parapsychologist and author D. Scott Rogo as well, who wrote over uh, 20 books on the paranormal. So I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be my first time out in the States. Um, it's going to be a good trip. It'll be a lot of fun. Too bad you couldn't touch down in Boston on the way back. <laughs> I know. I, I, I really wanted to. Sorry. I'd show you the town. Yeah, I, I, I wish I could have crammed so much into this trip, but I, I, it's already packed. In the week, I'm doing so much; it's unreal. But on the next trip, Ron, I'll be out there to visit you, and we'll we'll get something done together. There you go. Anyways, uh, Cal, uh, uh, you and I were talking about this uh, dowsing experiment that I, I've started, and um, I got some good results with it so far, good results meaning people are participating. I have not analyzed them, and I will not analyze the results until the entire experiment is over, so it's completely blind. Um, yeah. So anyways, you can see this. there is a video up on it. On uh, I believe it's the Ghost Chronicles International page. I'm sure it's on Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. It's on my page, Ron, Ronald Kolick, as well. And we should get Nori yeah. to put that up on our, uh, our website, too, the Ghost Chronicles International website. I think that would be a great idea. But I talked to Jeff Belanger, who has uh, ghostvillage.com, which is 
Yep. The largest paranormal website on the internet. And he has agreed to place that on there as well. So hopefully we can increase the number of participates to participants in it. And uh, that, of course, will make the study better, right? Um, yeah, hopefully. Um, I mean, sometimes it's not necessarily the amount of people that you get involved that makes this study, but, um, you know, it's more so the methods that you're applying, which is the most important thing. How, how many people have you got involved so far, Ron? I believe we're up around 50. You, you've already done 50 people? That's excellent. That's a, that's a really good progress. How how long does each experiment take, roughly? It only takes a couple of minutes to do. Uh, you know, they, they simply do it. They can watch the video, and it's basically dowsing over a card, and you will be picking the uh, winners of the semifinals of the NFL football games. And everybody says, well, it's all over. Yeah, but it doesn't really matter because, yes, it's all over, and the winners have been ter- determined, but we do not know what cards are represented by the winners uh that's all been blind so we have no clue uh i have no clue who, who the winner is of any of the cards rep- with their representative until uh this whole experiment is over excellent well it sounds like you're making um, really good progress though ron and if jeff belanger is also advertising this as well it sounds like you're going to get a, a really good number of uh, participants involved Right. I always, I always thought, uh, Cal, that it was the if the greater, greater, bigger of your uh, test group, the, the the better the experiment. Uh, the problem is, as I've heard from a number of my peers in psychology, that even though it's better to have a large sample, sometimes there's the mm-hmm. equal problem that if you get enough people involved when you're doing a, a study in psychology, you're going to find whatever you want to find because you've managed to get enough people involved. So, you know, you're likely to find whatever kind of experience or ability that you're looking for. Uh, but it, I'm, I'm not looking for anything. That's the thing. I, I want to see what the results of this is. I have no clue what's going to oh, happen yeah. with it. Uh, the interesting, too, is is because I, I'm surprised you say that because most of, um, for instance, the studies, when they do, like, medical studies and so forth, and they'll say, okay, this uh, this drug is good, causes, uh, you know, uh, birth defects in babies or something. But it was only on a sampling of uh, something ring, so therefore a further studies would have to be things. So I always thought that, you know, a larger study would be uh, more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, more validity to it. Oh, no, absolutely. There are some paranormal studies in, like, the Census of Hallucinations, which was one of the most famous poll-like surveys done in uh, the paranormal back in the late 1800s, and that had, um, you know, hundreds of people take place in that, and it produced a good set of data. So it just depends on what study, really, and as you're trying to do this experiment as blind as possible without any bias involved, you know, the more participants, the better for this one, especially as it's a pilot study. So, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what the results are going to be like, as you are as well. Exactly. And the, the interesting thing is, is I'm not touching any of it until we call an end to the study. In other words, I'm not, you know, uh, going through the entries and correcting them. I guess that's not really say correcting them, but, you know, I'm not validity. I'm not doing anything with them until the study is over. All I'm doing is logging them in. And so, once again, I have no clue which card represents yeah. what. And so we'll do all that analytical work afterwards. So anyways, I do believe we have a guest on the show. 
Yes, um, we have a guest at the very last minute, but um, this week it's my pleasure to introduce, we've got Mark Berry on the show, photographer of The Weird and Wonderful. Hello, Mark. Good evening, how are you doing? Uh, fine, thank you. How are you doing? I'm very good. I'm actually nursing a hangover, so you have to excuse me. <laughs> how did you get that? Well, you know, if I come around your house, it's, uh, it's kind of inevitable, really. <laughs> have you got so, a hangover, no. He photographs the weird and the wonderful. Uh, uh, he hasn't photographed me yet. <laughs> no. From the sounds of it, it would be very weird and wonderful indeed. <laughs> so, what kind of, uh, which kind of people have you actually um, photographed that stand out as um, particularly interesting people that you actually got to meet and? Take well, I mean, you know, every every sort of assignment has its has its interests, and I I, I photographed. Um, well, I, I, I photographed a lot for Bizarre Magazine, which um, listeners over in America may know. It's been a magazine in the UK that's been going for about 15 years. Um, and uh, I, I've covered the whole gamut of midgets, freaks, lucha libre wrestlers, uh, cult movie directors, actors, um, surrealist artists, uh, crop circle makers, paranormal people, um, psychics, witches. Anything kind of a little bit odd and uh, off kilter, uh, I have an interest in. Huh. And uh, I, it's difficult to say which would be my favourite person that I've, I've ever interviewed or anything. Um, but I, I, I actually kind of like Vampira, who was the um, the world's very first TV horror host in the 1950s in uh, on KTLA New uh, KTLA in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, she, if you're not familiar with her, basically she's the, the precursor to Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. But um, yeah, Vampire was around in the uh, in the 50s. She never appeared anywhere other than Los Angeles. But her appearance, which is slightly based on uh, Morticia Adams from <laughs> the Adams family, um, was very influential. And in a way, she kind of created the the, the, the gothic gothic look. Um, certainly popularized it. And despite only appearing on television in Los Angeles, and also is the ghoul in Edward's Plan 9 from Outer Space, um, she became an iconic character, and I was lucky enough to, to meet her um, back in 2005, I think it was, and the rumour was that she would hang out every day in McDonald's on, on uh, Sunset and uh, Hollywood, where they intersect um, in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, and uh, so I, I was just there, and one morning I thought, oh, I'll just, 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 just see if she's about, you know. So I went, went to McDonald's, and lo and behold, there was Vampira in the corner of the room, tucking into an Egg McMuffin. <laughs> so I went over and introduced myself to her, and uh, yeah, she gave me a, an amazing interview. I spent three hours with the lady, um, and she's, she's one of those grand old dames. I always love old ladies that swear, Yeah. and, and she had a mouth like the filthiest sailor you could uh, <laughs> possibly think of. Uh, she was 86 at the time. She, she sadly died uh, a couple of years ago, but uh, she, she was really kind of like a central character in the whole 50s Hollywood scene, you know, and I'm, I'm a big fan and always loved that kind of period. I mean, she was great friends with Marlon Brando and uh, James Dean, mm. of course. Um, and yeah, she was, she was a psychic as well. Yeah. And uh, she was her first husband, Dean Eisner, um, he ended up going on to, to write the treatment for Bewitched, apparently based on uh, on, on him him and his wife. Um, but yes, yeah, she, she was uh, she, yeah, she was actually had quite quite a few experiences um, knowing James Dean. And after he died, it became a big news story about six months after. Um, 
where uh, she was apparently visited by a spirit, and a few people mm. actually were visited by him. Um, did I, she did she tell you exactly what she actually said to James Dean in this communication? Or well, well, there's there's not a lot of history, but they were they were I believe they were not lovers. Mm. They were they were friends. Um, although I think there there was some kind of you know romance there. I'm not I'm not I'm not not entirely certain. Um, but I think he would. Um, oh, I, I remember he he would. Um, he would the, the, the cigarette uh, ashtray would kind of catch a light. Oh, right. She would sort of feel his presence, and instantaneously, psh, the ash would kind of like pyrokinesis. Yeah, pyrokinesis. Yeah, and you know she she was psychic anyway. But she was also a bit of a bit of a, yeah. bit of a old old dear that liked to spin a yarn. So yeah. as to how accurate her kind of story was, you know, but she was very upset by the fact that it became a big news story, and and she was actually. Um, she got a lot, of, a lot, of, a lot of flat from from James Dean fans and just people in general. Didn't like they felt that she was trying to make money, which I, when I visited, she she was, you know, she was totally impoverished really, mm-hmm. and uh, she never made it, never made a dime out of Elvira. Um, she tried to sue Elvira, and uh, for for stealing her kind of her act, um, but uh, ran out of money midway through the the court proceedings and uh, lost yeah, all the money that she, the little money she had, yeah. But yeah, she was yeah. also, um, yeah, there was a funny little story she gave me about uh, Warren Brando. She was really good friends with him. I think she she, she was a lover of his. And um, he they, they were wanting to contact Albert Einstein after he died. Oh. <laughs> and uh, Warren Brando one day came in and he was convinced that, that, that he'd had a message from, from, uh, from Albert Einstein telling him that you know, he was doing good and he should continue with what he's doing and that he was going to change the world. You know. Were those the communications that took place in New York, do you know? I'm not sure. Possibly. She was there sometimes. Um, yeah, I think probably. There, there was um, a famous kind of seance that was held after Thomas Edison died. Oh, no, you just said Albert Einstein, did you? Albert Einstein. <laughs> sorry, it just totally mixed up two people. So close, Cal, so close. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. That's my fault there. <laughs> Oh, but um, I also hear that you've um, been involved in um, kind of crop circles and UFO uh, and kind of yeah, issues yeah, and no, stuff from people that are involved in crop circles to your own experiences with UFOs. But, yeah, well, I mean, before, before, we, before we get to that, we actually have a, a question from the chat room. Uh, for, all right. Uh, and uh, they want to know how you get to photograph all these people. Uh, you just stalk them or, or, or what? <laughs> Um, it depends, really. I mean, for every kind of like, I mean, I mean, sometimes it's been a case of me. Well, take for example, Kenneth Anger. The um, he's kind of the godfather of experimental cinema in in, in America, and uh, he was living at the Gershwin Hotel, which is kind of like uh, the, the the Chelsea Hotel of of Hollywood. And I would go and visit back and forth, and I knew he was there, but I never kind of bumped into him, you know. But eventually, one night, I came back from a club, I think I was photographing, two in the morning, and there he was in the lobby, and started chatting with him, and didn't leave until about five, I couldn't get away. Um, so that's, that's, that's a funny way of kind of bumping into something, and I guess that is, that is slightly stalking, because uh, I would always stay at the Gershwin, hoping that I, I would bump into him. But, you know, now it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of contacting people for their websites, and uh, I also get commissioned as well, I, I work for Bizarre Magazine, and I used to run uh, my own magazine, uh, Naked, magazine yeah. of the weird and wonderful, and um, yeah, I just contacted a lot of people through that 
to be in that magazine. So, yeah, a variety of different sources and ways of doing it, really. Okay. Oh, thank you. Now we can go on to UFOs. <laughs> and I, I assume you photographed UFOs, and that's what we're going, right? Well, I haven't actually got any photographs. I know UFOs. that. That's why I said I have. I have seen UFOs, and I, and I did go on a UFO road trip yeah. uh, with an alien abductee, which was quite a startling uh, 12 days. <laughs> when was this? Uh, that was 2006, I think. Right. I think it was then. Uh, I, I forget the year. Yeah, it was somewhere around then. Um, yeah, I mean, I've always had an interest in all things paranormal, really, ever since I was a little kid. I think it was probably from... Um, Reading um, a little bit at school, they would have like little ghost books, oh, like, yeah, yeah. Little, little thin kind of like books with like the, the famous photographs. You know, the hand on the, uh, the stairs. Oh yeah, you know that that old yeah, yeah. And, that, and that kind of like sparked it off. Um, but yeah, I've always always been interested in science fiction and uh, the possibility of of alien life. Yeah. So you know, I actually, I guess it was really sparked after um, I saw you for the first time in broad daylight. Um, and it was very close and very clear, and it was quite an amazing sighting, really. Um, I was traveling back from a comic book convention in Oxford, back to the, uh, the M4 motorway in England. And it was about four, four of us in the car, and we're traveling along, and there was this object hanging in the sky. Now, it was unusual. It was a, a bright, sunny summer's day, which is very unusual itself in England, of course. Um, and yeah, there was this object, and the sun was reflecting off of it, so you could see a lot of detail, and you could tell that it was metallic silver, shaped like an upside-down acorn, right. just hanging in the sky. Difficult to tell exactly the size of it, or how distant, and not the actual distance was, we were driving along, but it looked pretty big. I'd, I'd guess, say, 30, 40 feet in diameter, perhaps, mm -hmm. and uh, the top half was spinning and one clockwise, and the the bottom half was spinning anti-clockwise. Right. Um, which at the time I didn't think I, I knew too much about you know the the, the mechanics of potential um, space flight, but that kind of like fits into a lot of the possible theories about how you know through electromagnetism and so forth that uh, uh, space travel is, is possible. Um, and we watched it for about thirty seconds to a minute, a, quite a gog as to what the hell this this object was. And we passed through some trees and off it bomb. It disappeared. So you were with someone else when you were... Yeah, there was four of us in the car. And all four of, four of you saw the same thing? Well, the driver didn't see it because he was kind of obscured and couldn't quite tell. But uh, the others in the car saw it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And was that one of your first sort of paranormal or unusual experiences? Or do you, you kind of had... Um, I've had certain things. I had a few kind of ghostly experiences. But that was the most... That was the most potent, yeah. really. I mean, because it was in broad daylight. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it, and it's around an area where there's, you know, a lot of military technology, you know, it's, it's near Salisbury. And, you know, it could have been an experimental craft, but it was certainly not a conventional object in the sky. Um, and, yeah, I, that really made me kind of I want to get find out more information about it. And around that time, I was looking into um, yeah, ghosts and so forth. And, mm. uh uh, I was going to a spiritualist um, centre in, in Bristol, yeah. uh, England, um, just, you know, learning psychic development and so forth, you know, just to kind of like find out more about the field, really. And uh, eventually I bumped into, actually, I bumped, it was amazing, I, I, I just through happenstance, and it wasn't really through being 
a photojournalist that I would meet these people. I would just happen to meet these people that claim to be alien abductees. Like half a dozen people just, and it, the subject just came up. It was just really odd. And um, one of them, I probably shan't, I won't mention her name, but um, she, um, she ended up coming along with me to, on a road trip from Chicago to Los Angeles and back down, all the way on the bottom and up again back to Chicago, um, showing me the, the places that she had abduction experiences. Mm. And we visited some of the UFO hotspots on Area 51 and Roswell and so forth. Yeah. And, uh, the Arches National Park was particularly interesting for what we saw. Now, you know that New England is, is probably the most notorious as far as the ductees that we had the first really big case uh, where a couple went public from uh, New Hampshire. Right. Whereabouts was that again, Ron? Oh, I know you would ask me. See, I'm not a big UFO guy, so I can't give you the the real details. I believe it was Derry, New Hampshire, or somewhere around there. I'm not quite. No, I think it was a little farther north. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty famous case. It was a, a couple of uh, you know a, a woman and a husband, and they were abducted by aliens, and it was supposedly uh, uh, written up. Uh, in all the newspapers and everything. In fact, they always have a big convention here in New England for uh, UFO inductees because, once again, this is the most notorious case, I, I guess. Not the yeah, UFO inductee. I'm, I'm being brain dead myself. And for the life of me, I can't, I can't think of the names, but uh, I'll, I'll try and look it up. Um, but yeah, they made a movie with it with uh, James Earl Jones playing. Uh, yes, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. I just can't. It's, it's the... Betty, Betty, no, Betty and Barney, no, no, I can't think, I, I, we'll look it up, we'll look it up. If you get it, you're a better man than I am. Anyways, we're coming up onto the break, it's about two minutes left, and I do want to mention your uh, website, Mark, which is www.hot-cherry, okay, C-H-E-R-R-Y dot C-O dot U-K. So that's hot dash cherry dot co dot uk whatever. A bit of a mouthful, huh? Yeah, no, I, yeah, that's that's my website. I haven't actually updated it for, since two thousand six, but uh, you can you can you can find a link to uh, my Flickr page, which is more update stuff of, uh, of photos and so forth. And and I, I I do have a question for you, but I do want to hold it until after the break because I know we're we're moving up on it. But uh, how long have you been uh, photographing? Let's start. How, how did you? When was your first get into photographing? Um, I broke my hand while projecting um, thirty-five mil film in a tower system at the Cube Cinema in Bristol, where I used to run. I used to run the cinema and. Uh, was projectionist as well as as well as janitor and uh, all sorts of things. Um, you know, I, I smashed up my hand, and I, and I was I just started um, doing like a, a little little course in black and white photography um, at a local other cinema actually. And uh, that kind of after breaking my hand, I couldn't really do much other than click a camera. So for like, I, I kind of like got into it in a short period of time. And then within that year, which was, this is 1999 into 2000, 
Um, I was photographing for the local magazine doing. Okay, uh, that's very similar to I. We are coming up to break now, and we'll continue just on the flip side. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Cal Cooper and Ron Kolick. Our every special guest has been Mark. Uh oh. Uh, we'll be right, right back after the following messages on Tojinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. Mark, what's your last name? Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Take 6,427. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolick, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so Ann, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, I'll have to get a new (laughs) co-host. I am brave beyond belief. Yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ann and Ron. See you then. with Cal Cooper and Ron Kolick here on TojiNet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. And speaking of cemeteries, I believe we have the latest copy of uh, Cemetery Tripping by my uh, co-host from Ghost Chronicles Next Generation and Carrigan the Blonde Bomb Show. So why don't we play that? Welcome to Cemetery Tripping, where each week I will feature a different cemetery that I hope you will seek out and enjoy as much as I do. You can see my pictures on Facebook by doing a search for Cemetery Tripping. Today I would like to tell you about Lowell Cemetery in Lowell, Mass. I was fortunate to visit this cemetery on a beautiful fall day with none other than Mr. Van Helsing himself, Ron Kolek. He played tour guide as I marveled over the fabulous statuary, mausoleums, and intricate stones. The Lowell Cemetery was modeled after Mount Auburn Cemetery in Cambridge in the then-new style of garden cemeteries and was designed by the eminent surveyor, George P. Worcester. 
He incorporated the rolling hills, horticultural aspects, and sweeping canopies of trees to create a peaceful and serene resting place that could be enjoyed by all. I would like to talk about a number of markers there, as there are simply too many to choose just one. One of the first markers I saw in the cemetery was the grave of Louisa Wells, described as a mill girl. Her family fought for 20 years to contest her will, ultimately losing. What began as a small sum of money left to erect a modest stone earned enough interest over two decades to erect quite a monument. It represents the angel of mercy looking down at a tired worker holding a bottom. The inscription says, Out of the fiber of her daily tasks, she wove the fabric of a useful life. It is a stunning and moving monument. Another very striking monument is that of James C. Eyre. The Eyre Lion, the most visited and admired monument in the cemetery, was sculpted by Price Joy in France of Italian marble. James C. Eyre made his fortune in the patent medicine industry, with his company advertising and producing a product to cure every disease. This is an incredible monument that draws you immediately to it. And perhaps the monument in the cemetery which has generated the most local folklore is that of Witch Bonnie, which is actually the Bonnie family monument. The true name of the sculpture is New Life. Local legend says that her dress gets lower and lower starting each October until finally her breasts are fully exposed by Halloween. Other legends include a fellow statue as her guardian, which is the air lion just in the line of her gaze, a tale of her rebirth in a tree, and that she was a witch hanged at the Salem Witch Trials. Since the cemetery was not created until 1841, and the Salem Witch Trials were in the 1600s, this simply cannot be possible. But as for the other tales, well, you may simply have to go and see for yourself. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles, and that's uh, in Kerrigan's uh, Cemetery Tripping. You can hear those on our show all the time. But anyways, I actually started a new Facebook page, which is called Grave Intentions. And uh, if you want to go and like me, I guess you can like me. I don't know how that works, but whatever. Or you can uh, certainly, you want to like Ghost Chronicles International because Cal's on it. He's a stud for all you women. <laughs> That's anyway, a good reason to click like. <laughs> our special guest today is Mark Berry, a photographer of the extraordinary. Uh, you know what's interesting, Mark, is as you were telling your story about your hand and everything else, it's, that's how I really got into the paranormal. The, the very identical story is that I actually cut my fingers off, and uh, uh, I did have a pulmonary embolism, too, in the hospital at the same time. But, uh, yeah, so I had nothing to do, and I took a course in TV production and ended up uh, in ghost hunting. So it's uh, a very similar story. Right, yeah, it's, it's funny how you end up doing what you do, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost like you're drawn there. So, I mean, you have taken a lot of photographs through the years, and have you ever really captured something where you weren't expecting anything? Oh, I mean, like an anomaly? Um, yeah. No, yeah. not really. No, no, I mean, I mean, I think a lot of the, I mean, I've only just recently gone on to digital, um, and I think a lot, a lot, a lot of these, you know, like orbs, for example, you know, they're, they're, they're dust particles because of the way they get photographically recaptured on digital cameras. And digital cameras do weird things, and they, you get weird things come up on, on digital photography. And that's, I think that's a lot of it. 
Um, but as actually the other, the other day, a friend of mine found uh, took a photo of a UFO, um, like you know, saucer shaped, saucer kind of image of the you know, just he was just taking pictures randomly, just landscapes. And there, you know, he looked close up, and there was this, there's this UFO, you know, bright as day, you know. So who knows? Yeah, I, I, I haven't actually personally had any, any weird anomalies come up through photos, but um, I'd love to. Not, not <laughs> on camera, but you've had your own weird experiences, though. Yeah, I've had plenty of weird experiences. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the interesting know, thing about it is, is I, I do have to ask Mark, is, is you, do you have an expensive camera? Um, I have a I have a Nikon or Nikon as American uh, uh-huh. say more accurately. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's it's a it's a professional camera. Um, it's it's not it's not a ten grand camera, but um, yeah, it's, it's get plenty of uh, plenty of decent pictures out of it. Yeah. The the interesting thing about that it seems that the better the camera, the less uh, uh, opportunities for paranormal. Uh, not paranormal or light anomalies of any sort uh, for one particular reason or another. Yeah, I mean that 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 yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like if you've got a cheap camera, you get these weird glitches happening. I mean, we we did a little experiment back. I was back in Portsmouth and uh, just with a security camera, um, and uh, you know, uh, Jonathan Frost, quantum physicist. I'm, I guess you probably had on, on the show before. He just showed me. You know, we had a, a, a dusty old cushion. And you know, pointed the camera at the dusty old cushion, gave the cushion a good little tap, and whoa, there's loads of orbs everywhere, yeah. flying all around, looking very, very spooky. But yeah, clearly it's just a, a digital glitch. You know, and that's not to say that you know you can't capture a ghost on camera. Maybe you can. Maybe it's one of those kind of things which isn't going to be recorded in the, in that way. I, I don't know. Um, but uh, you have to be wary of things, and, and 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 unless you're really an expert in photography or whatever it is you're analyzing. It's very easy to to misread something. Um, you know, I'm 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 I'm, uh, I'm 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 skeptical about things, but you know, I'm not cynical. Mm. And uh, we were talking about this last night. And yeah. uh, you know, you just have to be aware of, of the, the possibility that you can you can observe something incorrectly, or something you can, you can that seems to be one thing is actually very very mundane and uh, prosaic, really. You know. Mm-hmm. We found that is more common with the digital because some people said that, oh, you can't get them on 35 millimeter orbs and stuff like that. We've, we found loads of photos. I've certainly got a few here and there of orbs appearing on 35 millimeter, but it definitely seems when digital first came in, yeah. it's like the pixels couldn't really handle this flash and reflection of the dust yeah, particles yeah. and you just got them everywhere, especially at parties when everyone is jumping on the floor right. and yeah. all the dust particles. Well, maybe the ones shown on film are the real ones. Yeah. You know. Well, you know, it's just... Who knows? You know, <laughs> you, you can really say for certain about anything, can you? You know. Um, I think you wanted to talk about the, the UFO road trip. I was yeah, on. definitely. Um, you, oh yeah, let's get back to uh, that, right? Yeah, you, you've uh, not necessarily caught anything on on camera that's paranormal, but you certainly experienced a few things yourself. So, uh, what was this road trip about again? So, where were you going from and to, and what sort of places were? Well, we we took a whirlwind tour from. Chicago, Illinois, uh, to Los Angeles on the West Coast, and uh, yeah, just down to Phoenix, um, and all the way on the bottom again, and back up to Chicago. Basically, visiting some of you some famous USO hotspots that kind of were on the on the on the journey itself, and also visiting some of the relatives who were also claimed to be alien abductees, and to the, some of the places where she had experiences. 
being abducted or at the very least seeing UFOs and we can look on the lookout hoping to find something weird in the sky you know see what would happen you know and things things kind of did happen you know um I think we were traveling just just past Colorado it was dusk and um she sort of said to me what's that in the sky you know and I, she's a UFO it's a UFO I looked and I was like yeah no that's 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 not your fault. That's that's definitely a definitely a plane, you know. And I, I thought to myself, oh, here we go. You know, somebody this, you know, this isn't a very good sign as to the the validity of a story, you know. Um, but the funny thing was that the, almost the next the next minute, a, a strange light did appear from nowhere, and did seem to act very strange. Moved very close to what was the plane, and then zipped away. Mm. And I was like, oh. Well, it was interesting that we saw that. That was something that was not immediately explainable. Um, it was also interesting that she had thought that she had seen a UFO when in fact it wasn't. Yet, almost at that same instant, something anomalous did occur. So in a way, it's like she sort of predicted that it was going to come. Maybe, you know, did, yeah. she, did she ever claim to have had any psychic experiences before that? or? Um, well, she was part Native American. Right. And her whole family, her mother, uh, her aunt, and her grandpa, uh, grandmother, all claimed, and I think the, 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 the great-grandmother as well, who wasn't around, um, all claimed to be abductees. Um, so it was in the family. And, you know, they're Native American, and, you know, that kind of, that, that makes it more interesting to me, you know, there's, you know, because they have a different opinion on these kind of things, you know, and, you know, the Native Americans have, you know, long been said to being in contact with the Sky people, you know. Yeah. So, you know, that sort of lends a little bit of credibility to me, to me about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we, 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 we met, her, met her aunt in Phoenix, and she was a, she was a crazy old girl, you know. And she, she, was claim, she claimed to have seen, um, they lived out in, the, out in the sticks, and they, they claimed to be seeing um, flying kind of strange creatures, flying around the, the, the house, kind of like weird, um, sort of half reptile, half kind of bat-like. Creatures and you know the usual kind of um, greys and so forth. You see, well, she was actually she was visited by the reptiles, six foot tall, seven foot tall humanoid mm. reptoid aliens. Um, yeah, so she had a very curious kind of story. So the, the, these kind of creatures came to visit her rather than her being. Yeah, they would just pop up taken here periodically. They would come and see her at her house, and she'd have missing time, and you know, be taken to places, and you know, have have premonitions. And, you know, the, the, you know, the usual kind of like 2012 kind of like and all that kind yeah. of jazz. Um, so, yeah, and then, and then we went to um, Moab, Utah, which is where the, the more significant stuff happened, well, at least on, on my end of things. Um, we went to see the, the petroglyphs, which are there, the, uh, the Native American uh, paintings on the walls, right. which I think they're, they're quite famous images. And, you know, they, they, they could possibly be, you know, astronauts, you know, UFO, space travelers. You know, very interesting kind of like drawings. It's difficult to say whether they are, you know, depictions of lady beings or not. But, but isn't that, I mean, yeah. let me interrupt for a minute, but don't we see what we want to see in petroglyphs? Yes, I mean, that, that's my point. I mean, I said you, 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 have to, you have to be very cautious about looking, reading too much into things. You know, it's very easy to um, posit a scenario or a theory and then get the evidence to fit that theory. You have to right. be very wary of that, you know. Um, but you know, the, I, 
they, they, you know, they, they, some of them do look like aliens, you know, I'm not saying they are, but, you know, they look like, you know, usual kind of like gray shape kind of like creature or there's ones that look like possible spacesuits and that goes back to the whole, you know, Van, Van Danneken kind of stuff, you know, with the, yeah. with the Babylonians and the Sumerians and all that kind of He's stuff. You've got to some of the Egyptian hieroglyphs as well where people thought that in some of them were, they were depicting kind of communications with uh, extraterrestrials and when you look at some of the the carvings aside from that hieroglyphs they look like rockets or possible spacemen and stuff like that and yeah that's that's that and then that starts a whole conspiracy theory going yeah there's that tribe i think in in peru i think where they every year they they kind of like dress up basically like an an asteroid (laughs) like a wicker basket kind of like costume but it looks like it looks like an astronaut you know Mm -hmm. and you know that Apparently that was that was based on the original sky people that, that came and visited them. Mm. But um, yeah. So, so, so what was your experience like then? Where where, where did it happen? When did it happen? Well, we were still at, uh, at Moab. We were, we were staying in this fantastic old hotel called uh, the Apache Motel, which had this wonderful Native American sign on it. And uh, John Wayne stayed there, and John Ford when they were filming the westerns, oh. and Henry Henry Fonda and all that. So it had a wonderful history. Um, and we went sky watching, you know, midnight. Uh, the, the, the national park there called the Arches, which is this incredible red rock formation, stretches as far as the eye can see. The sky, you can see all the all the nebulae, and brilliant, brilliant for sky watching. And uh, we were there, and another couple, funnily enough, turned up. They were sky watching too, and yeah, you know, we saw a few kind of like things, which you know, a few lights in the sky, which looked quite odd. But then there was this one big red light that we saw, and it was just hanging there, and uh, just stayed there for about an hour. And then just kind of like blinked out from nowhere. We, we, we thought maybe it was a tower originally, but it was it was too high up, and there were other lights kind of like moving around that were a bit odd. And, but the funny thing was that you know I'm, I'm you know I'm just I'm just a research you know I'm just just having a fascination in the subject. But for the first time, going out and looking to the sky, or or, or anything of range, I had some ghost experiences too. Um, this is the first time ever I kind of had this strange feeling of, mm-hmm. of almost like dread, like. Yeah, I just want to get back to the hotel. Um, <laughs> I've had enough of this. You know, it's a bit creepy. Um, let's just go back, you know. And, uh, yes, yeah, so we went back to the hotel. And, and as an interesting aside, I don't know whether there's any relation at all, but the, we got back and there was a little baby white scorpion over the bed <laughs> on the ceiling. And uh, it disappeared. I, I, I got a, uh, a glass. Yeah. Put, it was up, I had to reach up on top of the bed and reach up high and put the the glass to kind of catch the scorpion to to get rid of it. Yeah. And I like tap, 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 you know, to knock it down. And I looked in the glass. And there was nothing there. I looked back up. The scorpion wasn't there and it wasn't on the bed. Uh-oh. And I'm like, where the hell is this? <laughs> and the, and the, the little baby ones, they're the they're the um, yeah. they're the poisonous ones. So I don't know what happened there. But anyway You did check your shoes and everything. Yeah, we checked, we checked pretty thoroughly, but where the hell this thing went to, I don't know, you know. Yeah. Um, it was very odd. Um, anyway, we went to bed, and I still had this kind of, like, feeling of dread. And, uh, and then I wake up, or is it a dream? I don't know. Uh, I wake up, and, oh, no, I wake up, and the, the, the girl is, she's, she's, she's sat up in bed, and she turns to me, all kind of, like, cold and ashen-faced, and says... They're here, <laughs> and I and I, I I take a little glance around the room, and oh yeah, there's nothing around here. Let's, let's, let's just go straight back to bed. You know, there's nothing nothing to worry about. You know, 
a little bit nervous. So I go back to sleep and then wake up again and I'm unable to move. Have this kind of like strange, it's almost like a, I mean, I, I, it was probably a dream, but I don't know. Um, but it was a very kind of almost druggy, hallucinogenic kind of mental state. It was very dreamy, but at the same time, there was it was more of like a warped reality kind of thing going on. Yeah. Um, I had the paralysis, or I could move from my eyes, and there was these strange creatures at the end of the bed, bubbling around, and. What, what did they look like? I couldn't see those very well, but they were kind of just like little kind of like men, you know, possibly like the, the kind of sort of greys you might kind of imagine, you know, uh, but I really couldn't see them in, in, in any detail because I was dead at the bed and, you know, could only move my eyes. And then there was this large one, which I would describe as bluey grey skin, translucent. You could kind of see the veins underneath the skin, and I was petrified. It was a primal fear, which I've never ever felt before. Um, the only thing I can equate it to is, is like a deer being in the, the lights of a car. You know, that kind of primal fear of, you know, of being exposed to something which you've absolutely no knowledge of. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just beyond your <clears throat> level of comprehension. And, this creature, which you know, was kind of looked like a, yeah, kind of like a, like a grey, but had those different colourings. Had the big black eyes, and I leaned right over to me, right close into my face, like inches away, and then I was out. I was snapped out. I was, I was, I was unconscious again. Yeah. And then I woke up in the morning with this feeling of <laughs> having this bizarre experience, and then the, the necessity, necess I'm feeling that it was necessary to tell the alien abductee. And I quote myself, and, it's a, and if you know me, it's a very strange thing for me to say because I'm in no way religious whatsoever. I'm, I, I describe myself as agnostic. I don't know what's going on. I'm open to anything. Well, you know, I, I don't really know. I have no, none of the answers. And I said to her, the aliens are evil demons. <laughs> and I said that with the knowledge that this would upset her because she had this kind of strange kind of kinship with them. Like, you know, they, they loved her and they protected her and this kind of weird sort of parental kind of like relationship. Yeah. But I need, needed, to, needed to tell her anyway. And I don't know whether it was me kind of like sending myself a, a message to kind of decode and work out what the hell I meant by, by saying such a thing. Yeah. Because it's a weird thing for me to say. I mean, you know, I've always been wanting to kind of have contact with aliens, I think. Or at least find out whether or not they were visiting us or not. Yeah. Um, Ballers would think that they were the good guys, you know, that they were intelligent, far more intelligent than us. And yeah, we were, we were the insignificant ants that were kind of bumbling around, <laughs> messing everything up, but they were, they were, they were civilized and enlightened. But here I was, well, you know. You know, that's not what I mean, Stephen Hawkins says. Sorry, Ron? That's not what Stephen Hawkins says. He says we got to be aware of him. Well, that's right. It was, it was very inter interesting that he, he said that. And, you know, there, there are a lot of people out there that uh, do think that uh, the aliens aren't that good. But, you know, uh, I think, if, you, know, let's, you know, let's just, for, for argument's sake, say they are visiting us. Because um, I think if you just argue whether they are or not, it's kind of a, 
viewpoint, really. It's kind of it's, it's a right. end of the conversation. Right. Yeah, kind of. Um, I think that. <laughs> I think that you know there there are potentially many different races that would be visiting us, and you know some would be potentially benevolent, and others would not be. They'd be they'd be you know beneficial and want to help humanity, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really know. But uh, so that 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 happened, and uh, you know it kind of it freaked me out a bit. Presumably, you'd spoken to the person you were with on this trip about her experiences. So, did you find that her experiences might have kind of influenced your own, or did her experiences kind of totally differ um, to, to your own personal experience? Um, well, she she was in some ways terrified by the whole thing, um, but it was it was a it was a weird relationship that she was having with him. You know, as mm. I said, it was very much like a, a parental kind of sense that she had, um, that they, they kind of messed with her DNA, that she, that she was part alien, uh, that, you know, that, that her family had been experimented upon, you know, she was like a, a, a test case for them, um, she'd been you know, taken aboard, shown things as a child, she, she'd seen... So, so this was numerous occasions? Oh yeah, she had a throw a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she, she, she was in her crib and, you know, remember, remember talking to mummy and who, who had like, um, uh, I think it was the National Geographic book. It was one of those old UFO kind of books from the 70s. And uh, I remember saying to, to, to her mom, oh, yeah, you know, the, those those creatures, you know, it was the greys. They, they come and see me. They come and visit. They come and take me at night, you know, which is a very odd thing yeah. for, for a child to, to, to say, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, when I got back to England, and this is where, for me, it kind of got, you know, even more weird. You know, I just kind of dismissed it as uh, as as being a dream. You know, or you know, well, maybe it wasn't a dream, but you know, you, you can't go around you know thinking your whole world means nothing. You know, that everything you believed in isn't true. Yeah. You have to kind of carry on. So, you know, just put it down to being a dream. And then about three or four months later, I'm lying in bed. I go to bed, and uh, yeah, the same thing happens. Um, I wake up. This kind of almost dream, dreamy, hallucinogenic kind of state. Less so this time. I'm, I'm more lucid, much more lucid, um, but still with the sleep paralysis. Yeah. Unable to move. Little <clears throat> creatures at the end of the bed. Grey alien, whatever you want to call it, kind of looms over me, and I'm out again. Is it virtually the same experience then, or does it differ in any way? It was. It was. A, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't a, a repeated dream. Okay. It was a similar experience, but not different in any kind of substantial way. Yeah. And had it been on your mind then since the first experience, or did you think, wow, I've had another one, I've not really been thinking about it that much? Well, you know, it wasn't something that was lingering. Yeah. You know, I wasn't kind of terrified to go to bed, you know, or anything like that. Um, you know, I thought about it. You know, I was going to continue my research. I was doing meditation at that time, you know, when I was going to sleep, you know. Uh, opening myself up, so I don't know whether that was any was related to it at all. Um, but you know, the second time I was like, "Huh, that was, <laughs> that was weird." Yeah. And then, <clears throat> and then it happened again a third time. And and, and the way I dismissed it as well is that you know it was just sleep paralysis. You know, and they talk about the 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 old, the old hag syndrome, where um, during sleep paralysis people would imagine an old witch, an old hag witch sitting on their chest right and 
you know, other things as well. People can see other kind of like creatures in the room and so forth, you know. And you know, it's just it's sleep paralysis. Yeah. Or well, maybe it's not, but but that's that's the conventional science's explanation of it. Um, so I kind of just put it down to that more than anything else. Um, but then the, the third time it happened, I you know I woke up in this sleep paralysis state. Couldn't couldn't move anything other than my eyes, and. In my mind, I'm like, I do not want to be taken. I do not want to be taken. I do not want to be taken. In my, I repeated it over and over in, in, in my mind. And it's only a dream. It's very gradually, very gradually, um, I kind of got out of the sleep paralysis. I was able to move myself. I got up out of bed. Um, I had a cigarette. I went downstairs, you know, had a drink. You know, if... <laughs> It was odd, you know, because this was confirmation to me that it wasn't, I wasn't just having a dream because I'd woken up, you know, I was now conscious. Yeah. You know? It wasn't like... And it was very lucid as well, and you were very aware of the... Yeah, well, I woke up, yeah, I woke yeah. up, you know, I was, you know, because previously I'd, I'd kind of woken up from a dream and things were kind of weird, things were going on, but I went back to sleep again. Yeah. In this well, instance, I hate to tell you guys, but the uh, doorbell rang and the pizza is here, so we got to wrap things up. We got about a minute left. Uh, we've been talking with uh, Mark Berry, uh, photographer for Extraordinaire and UFO Experianto, and uh, Cal <laughs> Cooper, of course. So, uh, Mark, you have anything coming up you want to push? Uh, well, we got you on the air. Um, yeah, well, I'm hoping to um, relaunch Naked Magazine of the Weird and Wonderful this coming year uh, through Baby Tattoo Books in America. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, also, I'm also a graphic designer, and uh, this coming month uh, actually comes out in March, a book by Michael Husser, uh, who's an amazing Renaissance-style uh, dark painter. Um, uh, his book's coming out, which I designed, um, and that's coming out through Baby Tattoo Books, too. And uh, yeah, if anyone wants to contact me, you know about anything, uh, uh, anything weird and wonderful. Um, my uh, my website is www.hot-cherry.co.uk. It's out of date, but you can still get hold of me. And uh, yeah, you can check me out on Flickr, um, flickr.com/hot/photos/hotcherry. Uh, and there's a lot more new stuff there, and you can cool. really get. We want to thank you so much for being on the show, Mark. It's been a pleasure. And uh, until next time, everyone, good night and God bless. Tune in tomorrow for Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. From goalies to ghosties, long would you wait if I came running home to you?